What's up, y'all? Welcome back. Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian. Awesome to be here again with you tonight. Very, very busy schedule, but I'm absolutely 100% proud to be here. Thank you so much for um, uh, just hanging out and and, uh, and supporting each other, right? I mean, it's incredible. So, you know, you can go to the uh, www.cajunlibertarian.com and purchase some stuff, shirts, Help us fundraise for the Tunica event, um, all that stuff. Uh, I've got the PayPal account, Stripe account, all that. Um, we beat that dead horse a bunch. Libertarian Party Seafood Caucus had a bunch of fun in there today. Please join. Uh, Cajun and Eskimo show coming Sunday on Muddied Waters Media. Uh, I think that's about it, other than the fact that we have uh, <clears throat> Randall Daniel on, Kentucky. Libertarian Party State Chair. He will be with us right after this in Clubhouse. So, with that being said, let's bring him on. Randall, what's up? No, a whole lot, Cajun. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on, man. I know you're very busy, but uh, you're doing a lot of awesome things. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here, man. And as far as awesome things go, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I'm just doing what I can for the party when I can. So, uh, you know we have no alternative right right and we talked about that before it's really uh you, you i say this all the time all gas no break and, and you're really walking that out so uh that's pretty awesome why don't you tell us that story real quick that you just told me in messenger oh um that i was uh so we got a party member who lives nearby me He's, you know i grew up with him i didn't even know he was a libertarian uh, he just helped me when my car would break down or do things for me. And uh, as I got involved with the party, I found out, hey, not only is he a libertarian, but, you know, he was wanting to run for state rep. Uh, so, you know, he might he might do that sometime. But this past week, I've been watching his place for him and, uh, you know, getting meet his dog, his animals, all that. But uh, just yesterday, you know, I sent out, you know, calls to 100 texts for people in the Mises caucus in the party, uh, trying to get them involved, trying to get them grassroots. Um, well, you know, helping this guy at his place and then also, you know, doing other errands for people in the party, uh, took a guy to the hospital so he could have a surgery that he had scheduled and needed a ride for, uh, you know, I just, just, you know, uh, people do stuff like that in the party, you know, um, we help our own, we do what we can when we can, uh, we talk a big game about taking, you know, privatization of charity and doing those things, you know, if we're not going to be the community, if we're not going to be the world that we want to see, it's just not going to occur. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this all the time here, being grassroots, being boots on the ground, uh, talking to people on a one-to-one -one basis, being there for them. Um, I mean, that's that's awesome. That's that's the way we win, right? I mean, that's that's the template for winning, what you're talking about right now, is is being there and being engaged, being involved in the community, being known. And, uh, man, that's, that's awesome. Well, I hope to do a lot more of it. Uh, as I get older and I get my feet better under me, I hope that my arms reach further and further and can help more people. Um, you know, I just see a lot of a lot of pain in the world, and uh, I just want to do what I can to help correct what I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel that big time. That's awesome. Um, we talked a little bit before we got on here about uh, was catfish eligible for the seafood caucus? Yeah, I mean, what what is seafood? If it comes from a river, if it comes from a pond. Uh, is it, is it a C? Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. And so, like I said, uh, Eskimo and I 
deliberated behind the scenes and decided that any semi-aquatic aquatic life would qualify for the caucus. So you're good with the freshwater catfish. No question. So that's uh, inclusive of frog legs and uh, turtle soup? Uh, yes, and even more so, like I told you back <laughs> a few minutes ago, the, but you didn't mention turtle soup, but both delicacies more than they are just seafood. Yeah. 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 Love frog legs, frog legs, big time. And so um, when you uh, when you cook your quote unquote seafood, uh, how do you like that cook? You're going to do it uh, just a little bit of salt, maybe just barely any seasoning. Or are you going to cook that bad boy up? So I grew up with a, with a family that's got pretty much like an English spice palette, just salt and pepper. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older and kind of, you know, like, you know, 10 years living on my own, I'll be 28 next week. Um, you know, I've just been learning more and more about spices, you know, um, I love Indian food. I love, um, you know, pretty much anything and everything with a little bit of a kick to it. Uh, Reagan, my girlfriend, she hates cardamom pods. She likes the flavor of cardamom, but I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not going to like grind up, uh, all the seeds. I just throw a couple in there and it's a little bit of a hand grenade. If you get one in your bite or not. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. I love yeah. it. But yeah, I'd, I'd season a word you know, eat it just straight, you know, I mean, uh, salt, pepper's fine. Uh, a little cornmeal on catfish is good. Um, but you know, um, also, you know, you get something and, you know, just <laughs> I'll take it any way I can get it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Love it. I'm a huge food lover. Absolutely. Uh, love it all. Uh, we just like to, you know, poke fun back and forth and all that. Um, but it's always interesting, you know, to see how, how people prefer their food in general all over the country. Cause we have such differing palates, you know? And uh, I, I think the food fight stuff is a bunch of fun. Uh, the other fighting stuff, I don't know that that's so much fun. There's been a lot of internet Twitter nonsense and Facebook fighting and all that within the party. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time for that. Like I, like I told you, uh, I just, I just don't know enough about it. So, if you would please really to me first explain what happened with the uh with the patches with the vax card stuff if you don't mind oh yeah yeah i'm happy to talk about it so um for a little bit of a starters right we've got a, a pretty good communications team here in kentucky um they took over right after i got elected chair this past march and we've seen our social media presence just skyrocket which has brought us more members more activists um, so it's been a great boon overall to have those people helping and assisting, but every once in a while, you know, they, they toss something out there. They didn't think much of it and it catches on. Um, you know, it's like, um, people, you know, flicking cigarette buds out of a car window, right? You really shouldn't do it. Sometimes you do it, you know, but, uh, that's how wildfires get started and it definitely put a fire in the conversation. Um, that particular tweet, a lot of people say it was uh, minimalizing of the Holocaust or in reference to the Holocaust. Um, the intent of the volunteer who made it was to kind of, you know, show the slippery slope of how things escalate. And, you know, he's still helping out and he's doing a great job overall. Um, you know, we've we've gone from having like 2000 or less followers on Twitter to we broke 9000 today. Um, so, you know, I think Texas is the only state affiliate that has this beat on uh, Twitter reach. So, um, but yeah, the short of it was that it did offend a local rabbi here in Kentucky and that rabbi, you know, he, he's 
very adamant about the language that is used surrounding his community. And he took it very personally because he had seen similar um, usage of language by our party and other parties. And it's kind of that man's, you know, like it's his mission, right? That he's assigned himself is to make sure that the conversation shifts from casual use of uh, Holocaust analogy or reference because he believes that it is inherently anti-Semitic to do so, as he says, it minimalizes the Holocaust. Um, I don't quite get that leap. I think that, you know, um, no one group of people have monopoly on any particular topic of conversation. Um, you know, um, I think that, you know, while it was horrific, the atrocities that, you know, the Jewish people suffered during that, um, you know, during the Holocaust, you know, there were, there were several other communities that were affected. And yes, that tweet did directly reference the plight of the Jewish people during that situation. But, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't put something just so far on a shelf that you're not allowed to talk about it. You know, like, it's a very difficult subject. I can see why the rabbi got upset, but I don't believe his definition of anti-Semitic is um, the same one that I'm used to colloquially. Um, he thinks that anything that references um, that doesn't, you know, hold it to the highest of standard is anti-Semitic. And um, I think that that's a really broad definition because it, it really limits your ability to, ability to reference historic events. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's a great descriptive uh, response to that question. I, I honestly was not expecting anything at all because I didn't even know there was a rabbi upset in the situation. I just know it very superficially, right? Yeah. Just from the surface. Um, from the surface, from my point of view, it feels like an honest mistake. I don't know that I would call it anti-Semitic, but then again, I'm not very familiar with that community so i really just can't speak to that but on the surface it doesn't feel that way to me it does feel very disingenuous to that uh plight and that i'll i'll go along with but um yeah i didn't even know there was a uh there was you know it went deeper than that again i'm very detached from a lot of this controversy uh with everybody there's a, whole, a couple more layers, honestly. Um, there are people from the Libertarian Party that were upset on both sides. Um, some people that were Jewish that were upset that the tweet occurred. Some people that were Jewish in the party that were grateful for the tweet. Um, you know, um, David Fight or Fit, um, he ended up hosting a debate between uh, Dave Smith and uh, Rabbi uh, Litman Shlomo. Um, so there, there's a debate about the whether or not the tweet was or was not anti-Semitic. And I want to thank Dave Smith for, you know, um, championing that and, you know, standing up for LPKY and our volunteers. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, volunteers are going to put things out there. And I'm sure that, you know, people, regardless of uh, caucus, have experienced when volunteers put out something controversial. Um, no one in our party, no group within our party is immune to controversial, uh, tweets, right? No, I'm, no not at yeah. all. <laughs> and some good that did occur from it is that the COVID passport system, um, which the, tr- which the tweet was trying to highlight the absurdity of, 
um, that was gaining a lot of momentum. It was gaining a lot of popularity. And I believe that the Overton window was actually shifted by that volunteer's actions. Um, it sparked a debate not only in our movement, but all across media. Um, and it even reached, um, you know, Forbes did an article on it. The Jerusalem Post yeah. did an article on it. And there was even a protest over in Israel where people were holding up banners that were, you know, showing, you know, um, um, the, you know, like a viral logo followed by a passport logo equals numbers on arm, you know? Um, so mm. th they were really, you know, I, I think that the net was positive. It opened up a lot of conversations. Uh, it's not my personal strategy to go out there and be that bombastic, but right. um, you can tell the difference, right? Um, the LPKY social media, over 9,000 followers. I think I have 14. Uh, okay. So I don't tweet. I'm, I'm not a big social media guy. I try to stay off of screens as much as I can due to my eyesight. Um, screens particularly, they irritate my eyes. Um, I have pigmentary glaucoma. So, um, you know, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I will always respond to messages. But I just don't, you know, get into a lot of like Twitter fights. So that's right. Uh, we talked earlier about the fact that you uh, deal with glaucoma. How long you been uh, have that going on? Uh, well, I found out when I went to go get my driver's license. Um, I had always been told that I had ADHD ever since I was a little kid. They put me on Ritalin. They put me in, um, you know, remedial classes some back in elementary school. And then um, based on where I sat in the classroom would determine how well I did in the class. And if they actually tested me on pen and paper instead of an overhead projector, like, as I mentioned, you know, screens and, you know, like light bothers my eyes a lot. So I don't like reading books or information over a screen. I, I can't stand overhead projectors. It's so difficult for me to learn off of those. But if you give me like a paper text, you know, like paper text, I can do so much better. And so um, now depending on just the teacher, I would either be in um, accelerated courses or remedial courses. And it had more to do with my ability to read like physically read, not my ability to comprehend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But, um, you know, I had, a, I had a rough time in school with all of that. And then I go to take my driver's exam and uh, they're like, hey, can you see, uh, how, you know, can, can you see the stoplight? And I'm like, which one? There's two. Because they like did this digitized vision test. And it was just awful for me. I'm like, uh, which one? And they're like, oh, our, our thing must be not calibrated right. So they tinker on it. And then, you know, um, they're like, is any better now? And I'm like, not, not really, but I can squint and correct it. And then the lady, after having spent like five minutes working on her machines, like you need glasses. Oh, wow. So I ended up going and getting glasses and they said, Oh, you got a mild astigmatism. And, um, over, you know, the 12 years since first getting glasses, it's gone from, I have a very acute, very mild astigmatism to now I've got a pretty severe astigmatism with slight magnification but um, I actually had to retake my vision exam just last week uh, to, you know, get my license back for uh, it got suspended for failure to collect sales tax. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, it was actually pretty difficult. Like I was nervous um, because sometimes, um, you know, my vision does get foggy. It gets hazy. I'll see, um, you know, I'll double or something if my glasses are out of date. And these ones are only about a year old, but it was a little difficult passing the test. Uh, I passed. The government says I'm competent to operate a vehicle. So I guess that's the threshold by which we determine it. So uh, I'm going to go get milk. 
right yeah yeah i <laughs> you're not supposed to have permission to do that right so but I, I, yeah it, we have we do have somewhat of a uh small but tight community i feel like it's you know it's probably pretty large but in comparison to the general public is probably pretty small, but uh, I have two in-laws that are completely blind from glaucoma and had a niece that has had uh, several surgeries, um, a brother-in-law that's dealing with it on a pretty significant level. And so that runs all through my, uh, my in-laws. So I'm going to obviously be empathetic to that situation right there very mm -hmm. immediately. And um, <clears throat> it, it's crazy to me that while you're dealing with all that, they also hit you with the government freaking overreach too, which doesn't surprise me, but you would think, you know, good Lord. And then uh, one of your big things about that government overreach is eminent domain and property rights, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, property rights issues, eminent domain is what really sparked my uh, interest in uh, getting active in politics. Right. So like philosophically, I've always been a libertarian. But um, here in Kentucky, you actually have to register with a party. And here in my local county, um, there's not an elected anything other than Republicans. Um, so if you want to vote, you don't vote in the general election, you vote in the Republican primary. So for you know the first several years of my adult life, I was registered Republican out of necessity uh, if I wanted to even be able to cast a ballot. Um, but as I saw more and more eminent domain and such going on in my county, uh, my dad had to fight off against a municipal government one county over, um, which to me just seems absolutely absurd because if, if they're not hierarchically above you and they're a lateral entity, they are a foreign government to you, right? They're not above you. They're just over there, right? So like Louisiana is foreign to me here in Kentucky, right? Um, but the United States federal government is not foreign to me, right? Um, so when Louisville water, um, which is super socialized and subsidized by the Louisville government and such, when they tried to eminent domain some land of my dad, um, it got me mad. Um, my family's got a long history in the state and I never really knew just how far back we went until getting involved with the party and then realizing even, you know, like how it ties into like my eye issues, right? As you mentioned, glaucoma is hereditary. No one in my family, to my knowledge, has ever had it. Like, I, I'm the first. Like, I developed this all on my own. Like, aren't I special? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I got to looking into, like, well, you know, like, they're trying to take this ground. It's been in my family forever. I'd also kind of like to better understand my family to see, you know, like, maybe the progression of this, you know, degenerative eye disease will be, right? right. So I started looking into my family more and more, and I find out that that very same ground that I'd been, you know, uh, helping defend or, you know, like, getting involved in politics to help defend for four years, um, turns out it's been in my family since 1781, um, since before Kentucky was a state, uh, since before, you know, really anything was a state, you know, we were, that was colonial period. And, um, so, you know, it really bothers me. And I find out that, um, one of the most noteworthy members of my family, uh, a guy named Walker Daniel, who, um, was the first attorney general of the County of Kentucky, Virginia. Uh, he, he technically, uh, he wrote the secessionary paper, um, requesting from the legislative body, you know, like from the um, House over in uh, Virginia for the secession of Kentucky. 
he's buried less than a mile from where I live now, according to death certificates. Wow. Like same piece of ground. Like it all comes together. Everything in life is like these series of circles. But um, I got more and more active after, you know, uh, my dad fought that battle. I hear about neighbors fighting a battle. Um, we're right next to Fort Knox, uh, where I live. And they've got a long history of just coming in and taking ground inch by inch or 40,000 acres overnight. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's just constant out here as uh, Louisville grows, as Fort Knox grows, um, as, you know, these foreign businesses come into my community and start using eminent domain to drive out farmers, raise property rates, raise property taxes and literally take the ground out from under your feet. It, it got me livid. Um, it's, um, I got into an argument with um, my judge executive. That's the uh, executive officer of a county level here in Kentucky. Uh, he's supposed to be a good old boy Republican, you know, limited government type. He actually retired from a company that was practicing eminent domain here in my community right before he filed for that office. So I've got the suspicion that that's pretty well connected. You know, your retired employee starts helping you get eminent domain through and such. But um, one time at a court, you know, fiscal court, it's like a judicial, it's, it's not actually judicial, it's uh, executive, it's just bad naming. <laughs> but uh, he's talking about limited government and I call him out and uh, tell him that, you know, uh, advocation for the annihilation of private property rights is an advocation for communism. You know, like without the foundation of private property, without security in the physical space you occupy, you have no security in any other capacity of your life or any ability to preserve your existence. And that is like, you want a freedom to speech? You don't have it if you don't have a place to stand. You know, if you don't have space to occupy or air to breathe, you can't take that, that next step of speaking out. And so I think that that, you know, having ground, having the ability to own and control that space that you occupy is the most paramount human right. Hmm. I'm really long winded and I apologize for that. No, uh, you're good. No, you're <laughs> good. You made a very good, uh, you know, uh, all around just great because what you're doing is you're helping me segue into the thing next because it all ties in so well. And when the, one of the things that I believe ties in so well to this is one of the stories you were just not just the story you were just telling me, but just like you're over. That makes sense now. Listening to you tell me that of what we talked about behind the scenes. Number one, your governor is freaking terrible. Oh, and, uh, he is. yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that he has made this situation worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, mean, I, I can't point to uh, a positive result of any of his recent orders over the last, you know, 15 months or so. Um, pretty much since he's taken office, I've had um, complaint after complaint after complaint with the man. And it's no different. Like, I didn't like his predecessor. Um, his predecessor, uh, Matt Bevan, came to my county and once again gave a speech as a good old boy Republican about limited government. And when I asked him about, you know, eminent domain, because he talked about limited government, <clears throat> Matt Bevan told me to leave the country. He said that if I didn't like eminent domain, that I should leave the country as it is a constitutionally protected right of government. And so that, that demonstrates the Republicans out here have no bearing or understanding of the Constitution. And then my dealings with Andy Bashir proves that the Democrats don't either. 
Um, I tried, I, I was a plaintiff in a lawsuit that a former state chairman of the Libertarian Party, um, you know, his name is Chris Wiest, uh, good guy, uh, better lawyer. Um, you know, he, he was my lawyer on a, on a case against Andy Bashir. Um, we sued the governor um, for him closing down churches, which is a violation of the Constitution. Um, I can get that he was afraid and his advisors was telling him to do this, that, and the other. I can't speak too well to his intents. I can only assume that, you know, you know, that he's not a, you know, like a malicious person, but it gets really hard to continue to give the benefit of the doubt to these government actors after time, after time, when they continue to erode our rights. Um, so, you know, eventually they will find us at a breaking point where we'll be left with nothing. And I, I fear those days, but, um, you know, I, I've got no, no, uh, I've got no respect for any governor that I've, uh, been an adult under in Kentucky. Um, not, you know, not, um, you know, Andy Bashir, not daddy Bashir. Uh, his governor was a uh, governor two before him. Um, not Matt Bevin. Um, I'm, I'm just really tired of these people just corrupting the legacy of the people that came way far before them. Um, we, we probably at this point would have been better off had Kentucky remained an independent nation, you know, um, and allowed these counties to kind of govern themselves and, you know, like that super small local government rather than building layer after layer on top of it all. Like I said, really long-winded. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about I it. I, I don't like Andy Bashir. I, I would <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. in my power to see him out of office. Um, yeah. I, I will, you know, if, if I lose my sight in the process, that I'm, you know, that's a good trade. Uh, if I if I give anything and everything to see this state set free, this commonwealth. No, you're good, man. Don't apologize for being long-winded. You're not very long-winded. That's uh. I'm just letting you roll because it's all good information and I, I love it. Anytime we get to uh, publicly just hammer terrible politicians. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm all game for that. So that, that's a lot of fun for me. Uh, I, I, I love it. I mean, even the dude, uh, I was it this, it was this governor you have now that you're talking about that, uh, dox you and try to get you arrested or something crazy like that right yeah so he gave me a notice um on my vehicle for a church for attending church uh and it was um you know if you don't self-quarantine for two weeks post this exposure then you're gonna be subject to arrest or some crap he didn't do anything it was just posturing but you know the fact of the matter is that my local sheriff is supposed to be my defense against um, extreme executive overreach or legislative overreach from either my state or federal government, right? And my sheriff didn't do a thing, not a single thing. And he's once again supposed to be a good old boy, limited government uh, Republican, right? And no, nothing. Um, when when these uh, when Louisville's government is coming over and putting pressure on my community, nothing. Uh, when the governor himself's coming and putting pressure on our community like threatening to lock churchgoers up, nothing. Um, but yeah, no, this governor, um, he referred to me and some other plaintiffs on a few lawsuits and stuff against him as uh, being terrorists and conflating us to the Capitol riots. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't appreciate a lot of the rhetoric that a lot of the others involved in some of these lawsuits and such were using, 
um, as you and I were, you know, like I'm not a big social media guy. Um, I, I've yet to see much accomplished by me going out there and, you know, like, you know, putting, you know, bombastic stuff. People do it a lot better than me. Um, I'm much better, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, it helped me a lot in my campaign when I ran last year. And it's helped me a lot in building up local level county parties and stuff here in Kentucky. That's awesome. How much have you grown since you, when did you take office? I'm sorry. I did. We, we just went right off into talking. I didn't even get to ask you a little bit about what happened prior to like, uh, you know, what made you decide to run for the state chair of Kentucky and, and that little process right there, the big process. Yeah. Well, over about the four years that I've been active with the party and everything, I've kind of climbed the ladder, right? I got involved my uh, my district party, Kentucky's um, breakdown is that we've got counties, right? That's like our grassroots level, followed by you know our congressional districts, followed by our state executive committee and such. And uh, we have six congressional districts. Our state party structure is mirrored to our elections. So you know, like oh, you got county level offices. Well, you've got county level party. Oh, you've got district offices. Well, you got a district part, you know, so it's all kind of, you know, you know what you're supposed to be doing based on the title that you hold. And I was in um, the smallest affiliated district by membership when I first got involved. Um, that's uh, that Bethany there. She's currently my district chairman or chairwoman. Um, you know, she's uh, she's great. And she's actually the best. Not me. But um, proper response. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's just, I got involved, uh, over those eminent domain deals. My girlfriend, Reagan, she encouraged me to get involved. I'd been complaining and complaining. She said, why don't you do something? And, uh, she's like, you, you talk about libertarianism. You talk about how that's, you know, like your political home, go find them. So, um, I, you know, I went to lpky.org where we have a little map of all of our events and things like that. And I, I, find the nearest next libertarian party meeting to me. And uh, it was my district meeting. It was uh, I think a 110 mile drive. And wow. uh, yeah, we got big districts. Um, yeah. District two is about 115, 120 miles in depth. And I lived at the northernmost point and our meeting was at the southernmost point, right? So I live just south of Louisville. And then our meeting was all the way down in Bowling Green almost to Tennessee. Right. Um, so I can see Indiana from my house and oh, I had wow. to go basically to Tennessee to my first libertarian party meeting. And then our district's like twice as wide. Cause it's shaped like a diamond because <laughs> it's gerrymandered to hell. But, yep. um, so I make that drive down there and it's at a Barnes and Noble coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And I see like a little group of people and they get all little like little papers and stuff. And I walk over to them. And I'm like libertarians. And they look at me like I'm an idiot. And so the, they weren't the libertarians. And I kept right. doing that <laughs> the table until eventually this one guy, he walks over to me. And he's like, hi, um, I'm Chris. I'm the district chairman. It's nice to meet you. And he asked me about myself. I tell him about, you know, my history of eminent domain and all of that. And he's like, oh, OK, well, it sounds like what you need is a county affiliate. Right. You need a political vehicle that allows you to grassroots organize, recruit candidates, run people for office, 
and have all of the institutional abilities that the Democrats and the Republicans have used for generations to subjugate your community. Like you, you just need the you just need the same tools that they have, right? So here's our bylaws. Read through this. You recruit a couple of friends. Spin up a party. I'm like awesome. Right. So he sends me home with homework. I go home and I start calling up my friends, going to meetings and, you know, like fiscal court meetings, city council meetings, Democrat meetings, Republican meetings. I go to anything and everything I can because I'm desperately trying to find friends. Right. Like friends who really share those core principles and tenets with me. Yep. And I find a few and I come back to Chris. And I'm like, hey, Chris, I found a couple of people. And he's like, awesome. Well, you'll be our first county party. Uh, <laughs> not only was I the first in D2, but while we had had um, county parties in other parts of the state, they'd all fallen apart since. So, like, that was the, like, currently the Bullet County Kentucky Libertarian Party is the oldest currently organized county party in my state. And my district party was Harlan Compton, the then state chairman, Chris Dillingham, the district chairman, myself, and a couple of people that weren't in any sort of like real active role. We had uh, Robert Perry, who was a great guy. He would show up to meetings. Uh, he helped fund some of our things like Fairboost, but he's got a very demanding professional career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that we were just a couple of guys, right? But... Um, after I got my county party up and going, and I got a few friends in it, Chris said, hey, why don't you step up to the district party? I'm going to go take care of getting my county spun up. So then him and Joe Hunter and a couple of other guys, they ended up spinning up the Warren County Party down in Bowling Green. And then I met a guy at a Louisville meeting who happened to be in the county adjacent to me. And uh, we worked together. We spun up the county next to me, Hardin. And then Chris started spinning up the county next to him with a few guys that came to his meeting. And when they got the Barron County Party. And then we started going, you know, we, we, we're trying to go county by county and connect all of the dots. And yeah. we have 120 of them here in Kentucky. And I think it's actually realistic that we can fully spin up the Libertarian Party of Kentucky because we're not a real party. We're not fully spun up until we have boots, you know, grassroots in every single county in the state. And for the first time in our organization's history, we have all six congressional districts spun up. Um, we've got an active and solid crew in every single one of the congressional districts. And we're working on spinning up um, more and more county parties, getting more and more candidates prepped, do more training, do more outreach. We have an office now, right? So like we're setting up a place where we can start doing phone banking and outreach. And um, like our party is just, it's phenomenally growing. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I kind of missed half the question there. You asked me how I became chair. And I just started oh, talking about the grassroots stuff, but when, know, did, when did you become chair? First weekend of March. Um, our annual convention is March of every year. Um, it's, you know, typically, yeah. you know, first, second week, depending on weather and tornadoes and what, you know, acts of God. Right. But um, I've only been the chairman of the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for like, you know, less than 100 days now. Um, so, I'm, getting, I'm getting right up to 100. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. That's very ironic. Uh, so the what was the date that you met uh, your guy in the coffee shop? Uh, that's like 2017, I think, in July, sometime around then. Um, I couldn't find him, so I sent him an email. And, and every year, 
Yeah, and so like every year he sends me an, uh, a reminder because like apparently it pops up like, you know, reminder of the date, you know, somebody, you know, it, it's just a nice novelty that he's, he, you know, he, he reminds me of when I first joined the party. So no, I have a good record cool. of it because, you know, he reminds me. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. It's incredible. Y'all, so y'all obviously still talk all the time. Oh yeah. No, he's a county party treasurer. Um, he, that's one of the most thankless jobs in the whole organization and one of the hardest to get spun up. Um, but you know, Chris has been paramount and you know, like the stability that having local county affiliates, right? So like, let's say that every single person on the state executive committee of Kentucky got struck by lightning to tomorrow, God forbid, right? Well, our districts all have a structure where they can send some people up. So like LPKY would have to be wiped out, you know, for whatever reason, a dozen times over because we've got people, you know, at the state level, at the district level, at the county level, and people can always come up to, you know, as we need them. So, you know, Chris is, you know, he's coaching from the bench from the state party's perspective, but, you know, he's doing the real grassroots you know, um, his local party, um, they had a candidate come out of their county last year that I think a lot of people in our movement are pretty aware of. And that's Brad Barron. You know, he's from Bowling Green. Um, he joined our party. He got involved with the Warren County guys, which includes Chris, the guy who got me active with the party. And he ended up running a statewide campaign getting, you know, uh, there's like 84,000 shy of 90,000 something votes in Kentucky. Um, he smashed every record we had as a party for, you know, contributions and activism. And um, it was just, you know, phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it comes from those local level counties. Yeah. Well, look, I talked to a lot of people all week, every week for now, since uh, I guess about the in beginning of April or so. And uh, it, it seems to be, you know, it's always going to fluctuate a little bit, right? The details and the semantics of the situation is always going to be a little bit different. But it, every chair that I talk to, or at least almost every chair that I talk to, has got a very similar story to you in the fact that we're growing, like, big time. And some of y'all are less than, you know, not less than, I'm sorry, that would come out wrong. I was going to say, I'm less than, uh, I'm newer to this this game than y'all are. And so um, I'm just very fascinated. The fact that as I'm coming in here, I'm watching each and every one of y'all absolutely just crush it and kill it and grow the party. And, um, but not necessarily the party, but the Liberty movement, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, yeah. You know, like you said, you, you didn't start off like trying to advance the libertarian party. What you started off doing was advancing Liberty and getting pissed off about government overreach and uh, I think that this is our avenue, you know, this is our easiest success to that path in deregulation and stripping away some of these tyrannical laws that you've experienced, even in a deep, well, I guess it mostly is a deep red, mine is a deep red state, but we still have some of that stuff here. You know, it, it just doesn't matter where you go, that government overreach is absolutely terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Kentucky's in a really odd spot with voter registration and whether or not you consider it, you know, deep red or purple or what have you. Uh, Louisville is blue, plain and simple. Um, the, it seems like the Republican Party of uh, Kentucky has abandoned Louisville and that's allowed a monopoly power to kind of seed its way into controlling everything, which is just horrific. Right. Like duopoly politics is terrible. 
monopoly politics is even worse, yeah, right? It's real bad. And um, the region that's typically considered purple is the greater Lexington area. So our sixth, congr uh, sixth congressional district. And um, but honestly, it's actually majority registered Democrat and has been for a long time in Kentucky. Um, it's only in recent years that, um, you know, that, that there's been more and more turnout for Republicans. Uh, my community, I guess, here in Bullet was one of the early adapt, uh, adopters of the straight ticket vote, unfortunately. But, um, you know, we've only ever had two Republican governors in our history, to my knowledge. Um, so, you know, it, it's not that unusual for us to have a Democrat, even though Democrat doesn't mean what it used to here in Kentucky. Although their politics are still the same kind of authoritarian. It does seem like our labels are just shifting and they're being redefined every day. You know, um, what we would consider or what I would consider a, a liberal or a classical liberal, you know, most people would not associate themselves with that or a lot of people have the country if we're talking in a binary sense, you know, mm -hmm. you say, okay, that, I, you know, I got this friend, it's a classical liberal and who you're talking to is like a, you know, pretty conservative Republican uh, Trump person. Yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, no, I, you know, on average, I'm saying, you know, stereotypically speaking, that's the response you're getting. You're like, man, look, it's not the same of what you think it is. I think we're being lied to. I think we're being. Tri uh, there's no thinking about it. I know that for a fact. Yeah, they're uh, creating division that doesn't exist, and one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that the language actually devolves instead of evolves, or at yeah. least stays the same. And that's a problem that we have. But uh, I think it's amazing that you're. Uh, killing it over there in Kentucky. It doesn't surprise me. You know, like I said, it's, uh, it's been kind of like the going rate with us. I know there's a lot of stuff going on on the internet that just doesn't really matter. Not really with y'all anymore, but just all over the place. But when we talk to people like you, Randall, and, um, a lot of these boots on the ground, what we're finding is 100% success. Uh, you're killing it. And, I love the stories, man. I really, really love the stories about you being face to face with the people, helping people out. Uh, we get that so much. And hey, um, you know, I just got to pay back the favors that have been given to me. Uh, I may not pay them back to the same person all the time, but you know, I've had a had a world of people, particularly my parents, that have really gone out and helped me in my life. And I feel it my Christian and civic and all of those duties to uh, do all I can for others. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've unfortunately hurt people before and, uh, thankfully nothing too serious, but, you know, um, regardless, you know, I, I, I feel a calling to do something for my fellow man and I can't just stand by and watch, you know, um, I feel that. Yep. I feel that, uh, one of the biggest, or I would say the, the biggest reason I got into the activism was over the lockdowns that happened everywhere else. Yeah, uh, I'm in middle Mississippi. Um, I'm from Baton Rouge, but I'm in middle Mississippi near Jackson. And we really didn't suffer that much. Um, mm -hmm. was, you know, a couple of weeks. That was basically yeah. it. I, I quit wearing a mask like back in January. Yeah. And uh, but what pissed me off was watching all the other people around the country just get their lives destroyed by this. I, I should stop right there. I will. I will absolutely just go off the rails because that's what got me. It's like I'm watching these communities 
And it's, it's incredible how you're just crushing the literal citizen and expecting some sort of different result. And now you're surprised, like, oh, the economy's terrible. People are mad. Like, um, what, what did you expect? I will say that there's been a really interesting twist specifically to the micro economy here in Bullitt County, Kentucky. We've got UPS Worldport, right, just north of me. It's a 15-minute drive from the center of Bullitt County. It's the world's largest shipping facility. So, you know, like if you order something on Amazon or, you know, pretty much anywhere on the Internet, it's going to come through Louisville, right? And um, the the area of Bullitt County has been so sold out, like we've lost our agrarian roots to a large extent. But now we're just full of warehouses. You can get a $24, $25 an hour job straight out of high school here in Bullitt County now. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got more than 100%. Like, we, like if you order something from Amazon, some yep. high school kid from Bullitt County, Kentucky, probably put that on a conveyor belt at one point or another. Um, <coughs> Swallowed my tongue there. If I die on the podcast, that's why. Um, yeah. <laughs> It'll be all right. I've done worse on podcasts. I promise you. That's why no fear of failure anymore. I <laughs> just have fun with it. I don't even care. Like you, I'll, yeah. I'll, doesn't matter. No worries. But yeah, I mean, wages are up, but um, I guess that's you know. But at the same time, it's like you've lost your dignity. You know, um, you got to wear a mask. You got to abide by all of these draconian laws, all of these rules, um, and you know. What is, you know, like you're not learning a skill. You're not learning something that you can take for 10 years from now. This industry is new. Um, you know, if you're going to work for some warehouse, your best bet is to get on it, uh, <clears throat> get on doing maintenance because machines always break. Um, no matter how much they automate, they're still going um, yeah, to break. Even if they make a machine fixing machine, you got to fix the machine that fixes the machines. Right. Right. Um, but, you know what happened to farming? What happened to, you know, like local supply chains, things like that, you know, like a larger supply chains become more and more vulnerable. And I think that that is part of the tragedy of selling out your local resources in favor of paving things off. Uh, not to mention the change in like floodplain. Um, you know, I mean, it, yeah, I'll save you guys the environmental feel, but yeah, um, we'll save that for another show. <laughs> no question. We're already over time. So, but, um, I do. I love what what you're going into because that's actually a big deal for Eskimo Libertarian and I is that uh, that environmental tyranny. Uh, I'm not going to promote our show on your interview, but it's just you know, it, it, that, you know, why not? Right? It doesn't detriment me. You know? It's, no, uh, no, I know. I'm just saying. I'm telling you that you're you're touching a nerve there that we could uh, build an entire show around, like quite li not just a show, like a series. <laughs> like, like we could, weeks we could go into what you're talking about right now that's a very very sensitive subject for eskimo and i and uh i don't know that sensitive is the right word but you understand what i'm saying yeah so, matt cannoli says great show guys let's get into some comments real quick if you don't mind if we can we won't stick out uh too far here We'll get into Clubhouse in a few minutes because we keep them this short. And I know everybody, know, or you know, if, unless you're new here, we keep them kind of short because a lot of people can't watch them live. And so in order for somebody to want to click on it and say, you know, we really want to hear what Randall Daniel has to say. We want his voice out there. 
we got to keep it under an hour. And so Sarah Foster always with some gold. The states are supposed to decide themselves. The federal government is supposed to just be pretty much for communication between all the states and helping keep stuff smooth. It's grown and no one has kept it pruned back. And I think a huge eye opener, or at least I, I hope it is, um, is that it ain't, the Republicans aren't doing it either, y'all. You're talking about Kentucky, right? In the, Kentucky, right in the middle of the state. Now, I view Kentucky as purple. Am I wrong? Well, we have a 75% supermajority in the House and more than that in our state Senate. And um, they're purple as can be because uh, when they had a lawsuit come up that said that the governor had proven, or, you know, it had been proven that he had violated the Constitution, they chose not to impeach. Um, so, you know, like what's red, what's blue, it's all the same to me. Uh, but, you know, don't take my word for it. My eyes are going out. Trust your own eyes. Take a look for yourself. That's nice. <laughs> Great line. I love that. Reminds me of 1984. I'll butcher the quote, but I'll give it a shot anyway. Uh, something along the lines of, you know, the party told you not to believe what you saw with your eyes and heard with your ears. Just believe them, basically. Yeah. And that was their final and greatest command. And so uh, I, I love that quote. Again, you know, it's obviously going to be very special to me because I have an entire family that's dealing with it. But that's a great line, you know. Our vision needs to remain the same. Minimal government, maybe no government for a lot of y'all, but at the at, at the very least, I should have said a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least, uh, let's start chipping away at these laws. And you are trailblazing. I use that word a lot. It's very applicable. I'm going to keep using it. So, Randall, let's jump off. That way we can jump in to Clubhouse. Is that cool with you? Yeah, cool with me. You might have to walk me through it a little bit. Uh, no, like you got to do on your own. You're my first follow on Clubhouse. Y'all heard that? I finally made it. <laughs> Forget Muddy Waters and Spike. I made it. Hey, yeah, Spike follows me. I didn't even know it, but uh, Spike it's follows insane. me on Clubhouse, and I, you're, you're my first follow. Uh, sorry, Spike. Uh, you, you can be number two. <laughs> I made it. I made it. Libertarian Redhead. Uh Spike Cohen, Caitlin Cloven, Donald Rainwater, Larry Sharp. Nope. I was Randall Daniels' first follow. I have <laughs> made it. Spike takes second place. Anyway, that dude, awesome interview. I don't like calling them interviews. I like calling them shows because to me, you and I are just having fun. Like we talked about, that's the number one priority. You and I have fun, and then the information just comes out, and wow, you are packed with information. We will definitely have to follow up with you. Maybe we'll do some sort of uh, – special show with you agricultural wise yeah anytime yeah be happy to i love farming it's uh it's my roots i think we're gonna go in that direction if that's okay with you because that's a a, i love that topic and i just don't think it's covered enough and it's so important anyway all right let's stop clubhouse (laughs) to clubhouse i'll see you in a bit see you there bye (laughs) awesome just an incredible time. Well, so again, you know, there's so much information we can only pack into 40, 45 minutes, an hour. We're at 52 minutes now. I try to keep these things at 40 to 45 minutes. That way, uh, when somebody random who maybe isn't a libertarian comes across the podcast, which you can catch Facebook, YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can catch your podcast. If they 
aren't libertarian and they say, oh, I really like what this Randall guy's saying, even though he's from Kentucky, he's wearing a camo hat and he's got long hair and a very, very thick glare on his glasses. I love what he's saying. And I love his country, Kentucky accent. I want them to click on it. That's why we keep them and condense them the way we do. So um, www.cajunlibertarian.com. Buy a shirt or something. I don't know. I hate talking about it. Y'all know I do. But the shirts are really cool. So buy that stuff. Donate to the GoFundMe. I know you're tired of hearing it. we got like two or three weeks left of this. We've got to get everybody there. Maybe we can even get Randall there. That would be awesome. Hopefully I'll show up, seeing as how I'm emceeing the entire thing. I plan to be there. We'll see what happens. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I will be there. Absolutely. I bet Brian is losing his mind right now. What do you mean you're not? You, you don't know. <laughs> no, I'll be there. It'll be fun. It'll be great. Uh, help me get as much as we can to Mercy House Teen Challenge in Jackson, Mississippi. I love y'all very much. Uh, I will see you in Clubhouse. Other than that, I guess I'll talk to you Sunday. The Cajun and Eskimo show. Very much not the same Cajun time and absolutely not the same Cajun channel. The next time you see me, it will be the Cajun and Eskimo show from Igloos to Bayous on Muddied Waters Media. I love y'all very, very much. I absolutely mean that when I say it. Thank you for electing me to this platform. Um, I told Matt Wright that yesterday. I really feel like you put me here. Um, you've elected me here, and I do not take this lightly. Thank you. I'm out. Thank you.